Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Um, right now, we're in the middle of just a big time for the podcast. Yes. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We debuted our um, our first cover song on YouTube last week, although at the time of this recording, we haven't seen how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know how popular it's been, but... We're you glad know, you guys liked it. <laughs> we're... we're, we're Speaking it into existence. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've we've also got another one out for uh, this episode's artist. So yes. go check out our YouTube channel. Uh, if you'll just search for the Good Music Podcast, that's the name of our channel, and you'll be able to find it. And hopefully you'll be able to you'll be able to see what we look like for those of you that don't, <laughs> that's true. don't know who we are. <laughs> that's true. That's and true. um and see that we're not just guys that like to listen to music, but we like to play music too. And so I definitely do. I had a lot of fun with the cover song for this episode. It's a very different style. Yes. Um, and was... we'll get into that when we talk about the artists. Yeah, but, uh... but it was very fun. And we're going to continue to do these every week. So um, we're going to launch them as kind of a, a sister to each episode. Yep. And they're always going to feature a song that's featured on that episode whenever we do like our six songs. Mm-hmm. So um, look forward to that. As well as we're going to really start putting content on Patreon. We are um, going to be putting some episodes ahead of time, so this is going to be an official new way to be able to support our channel, is to go to Patreon. And we've got some exclusive content. Not all of it is available yet, but we have stuff in the works, so we uh, are going to be able to give you guys episodes early, pretty much just whenever we finish them. You know, we'll try and, as soon as we record them, we'll try and get them done as soon as possible. And then we're not probably going to have a schedule that we'll do on Patreon. Just whenever we have an episode ready, we'll just put it on. And you'll usually be about, like, two to three weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. Especially because our recording schedule lately has been kind of sporadic. You guys, your listening schedule is always Monday morning. Yes. 9 a.m. We do not <laughs> We do not always record normally. We just yes. kind of record whenever we can. Yeah. That's just how it is. Because, oh, I gotta make sure that my watch doesn't beep. <laughs> I've got an Apple Watch now, so I gotta. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if there's a way to silence it or not. <laughs> That'll just be happening throughout the episode, I guess. Well, so if you guys hear that, I, I bet there's a way I can. <laughs> um, new tech, new problems. That's right. But I don't have the energy to mess with it right now. <laughs> uh, so if you hear any beeps, that's what that's going to be. Um, Patreon. So we're just going to put those up whenever we have them available. So um, that's going to be for our $3 a month tier. I mean, $3 a month, even when quarantine has um, limited our ability to go out. And, although in some areas, like where we are, it's definitely lessening up more yes. and more. Um this is just going to be a way for us to continue to move forward our goal, which is to be able to do this full time. Mm-hmm. Because all of the stuff that we have coming up, it's, I mean, we've got a lot to work on. Yeah, we might have to start bringing more people on the team. we got so many ideas, especially Lucas. I, yeah. Keeps throwing any ideas at me. My, my whole thing is that <laughs> just, like, almost daily, just anytime, particularly whenever I'm in the shower, that's, like, when all my best ideas come to me. Because it's, like, there's, I don't, I'm not distracted by anything, it's just, it's kind of the time when my mind quiets, and then all of a sudden I'm just like, ooh, what if we did this? What if we did that? And then I have to, like, immediately tell someone as soon as I was just like, I'll either tell my wife or I'll call you, and I'll be like, hey, I've got an idea. What do you think of this? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, we want to move towards this being kind of our full-time thing. So Patreon is going to not only be good for us to be able to do that, but also, you know, we got some cool stuff for you. And for the $5 tier, something that's going to be happening, we're not going to be ready for it quite yet, but you can go ahead and, um, and subscribe if you want to. And we're going to have um, weekly a bonus cover song available on Ooh, Patreon. Yes, so instead of doing one song from an artist each time, we're going to do two of them. We're not going to do that yet. That's maybe five episodes away. Yeah, we're that's a little bit further down the line. That'll that'll happen in the middle of July. Got to streamline the process of actually doing cover songs first. Uh huh. Which we're getting better <laughs> at it. We actually yeah. we we did record two the other night, and mm-hmm. and we're, we were able to do it without it being too exhausting. Yes. At least for me. Mm-hmm. Well, because you, you did all the work. I was doing most of the work. Yeah. <laughs> I do all my stuff in one day. Drums, right. bass, vocals, and then I just let him do his stuff kind of in his own time. Yeah. But it's just <laughs> so I don't have to keep coming back and forth. Right. So uh, about a month from now is when you'll be able to start uh, seeing on those of you that subscribe to our $5 a month tier, you'll be able to see the bonus cover songs. And we'll always have one cover song um, on YouTube per week. Yeah. And pretty much the way we'll do that is just Grant's going to pick the song he wants to cover and I'm going to pick the song I want to cover. And we'll we'll probably decide which one's like going to be the more popular one to put on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then if there's one that's kind of more of like a deeper cut, depending mm-hmm. on whoever, which one of us pick, that'll probably be the one that goes on the Patreon for those of you that are more dedicated followers. Yes. So um, that's kind of what we're looking at so far. So... Um, I'm going to try and get all of our episodes updated to where you can get to our Patreon, but mm-hmm. uh, if you have the Patreon app or go on the website and you just search for the Good Music Podcast, you'll find us. And um, we're going to give special shout-outs to all of our patrons. Wow, look at that. Yeah. You could be in the episode. That's right. <laughs> and then speaking of that, do we have any wonderful comments? Yes. You know what? I was just pulling that out. <laughs> I actually, I feel like I did see one the other day because I remembered to look at it other than when we're recording, although I haven't looked in a couple days or maybe a week. Um, but... I know that from our perspective, Eagles just came out, and we had a lot of people get excited about that. We have another person that is asking where Jimi Hendrix is, but they also are asking about the Grateful Dead and Radiohead. Hmm... So we we now have two requests for Jimi Hendrix, and I promise you, we will do Jimi Hendrix. Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. I actually, I would love. To I've do never it. gotten into Grateful. Dead, I would love so. to do an episode on them. There you go. They're they're Stay a band tuned. that I like, but that I don't, I don't know near as much as I should. So that's I'm mm. excited to do like the digging in with them, and then Radiohead. Uh, I'm not I'm not a big Radiohead fan, but. You know, I've, I've also never really, like, given them a fair shake, so... Yeah. That could be one that we do, and I and I kind of really actually realize that I like them. So that could be an interesting one. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, usually you do artists that you just like. Yeah. I mean, has there been an artist that we've done that you didn't know anything about before? I feel like there has been. Um, uh, one that we're actually... The one we're doing our next episode on, I really didn't know much about them. Oh, really? It was they were kind of the reason I picked them is because I wanted to learn more about them. I knew like one or two of their songs, mm-hmm. so um, that's a little sneak peek. Well, now you know at least week. six. 
Yeah, well, I know a lot more now. <laughs> I listened to a lot of their albums in preparation for that episode. Um, I, I don't think that there's any others that I was just, like, really clueless about. But it's something that I'm going to do more and more as we get on, because eventually I'm going to run out of stuff that I'm already listening to, and mm-hmm. it's going to be delving into, okay, let's start really mm-hmm. um, learning here. Mm-hmm. So... That'll be a fun experience. So that's prob- that's what would happen if we did Radiohead. Yeah. I've kind of always not liked them, but also, to be fair, I've never given them a fair shot. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's the good music podcast. I can't, I can't pronounce if they're their... they're bad, we can't have them on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's also subjective, though. There, there could be bands on here that I don't like, even after researching them, but hmm. I'm not dictating what's good by my taste you know if it's, it's it's objective historical yes if they are important and if their contribution to music was significant and i can acknowledge that they are truly like artists like you know i'm not counting like shallow pop groups that are just accepted because it's popular mm-hmm. uh, i'm going to be looking at you know what artists actually like meant something in the grand scheme of things even if i don't like them so i think that's actually a good distinction to make here on this episode is it's not always going to be about what i decide is good it's going to be what history has decided is good wow the only exception to that being if i really think they're good even if maybe the public doesn't agree with me but i can't think of what that would be Hmm. so Anyway, that was a really long way of saying you should subscribe and leave us comments. <laughs> subscribe, comments, ratings, reviews. Yeah, let us know. They help the algorithms. Uh-huh. So, and then uh, also go check out our social media pages. Yes. Instagram and Facebook. Um, we're actually going to be taking a pause on giveaways Sundays. Yes. Because with Patreon now, especially with people being able to have access to episodes early, I don't know how we can stop people from our patrons from cheating right because we'll come up with something else well well, we're uh, gonna we're gonna reevaluate and see because i really like the idea of doing it but mm -hmm. also i've got to make sure that it's fair for everyone who knows if we get enough patrons maybe that we'll make that a patron only thing Mm -hmm. um or we'll come up with some other idea i don't know yeah so let's talk about what's going on in the world which there's a lot going on right now um Obviously, we have all of the riots that are going on, and we have um, a lot of people, including myself, outraged with what's happened with George Floyd, and mm-hmm. just kind of seeing our nation just really crack, mm-hmm. um, I think, compounded by all of the unrest with quarantine, and people um, really just kind of, you know, I won't say that cabin fever is what caused this, but I think that it actually kind of led us to where we're fired up enough to finally do something Mm -hmm. because something's needed to happen for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been seeing a lot of um, news outlets that are similar to us or channels that are speaking up and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and getting really roasted because it's just like, oh, you should why are you getting involved in politics and Mm -hmm. you know you should just talk about music or talk about entertainment you know Mm -hmm. this isn't your field and i think that that's really stupid thing to say Mm -hmm. because this 
affects everything. Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing a lot of musicians coming forward and talking about this. A lot of what I've has been helping me keep up to date on what's been happening is videos being posted by a lot of musicians that I follow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a really, it's a really crazy thing to just kind of see how everything has turned up. But, yeah. um, you know, we want to officially say that, you know, we support, you know, equality all over the board. Mm-hmm. And we you know, we, we stand with you and I don't know how controversial that is. I, I hope it's not. I hope it, it shouldn't hope be. It shouldn't be, but you never know in this modern world, but so. you know, we're not going to, we're not going to get fully into it cause we like to keep things pretty upbeat and, but you know, pretty we, light. Yeah. But we wanted to at least acknowledge that, you know, we see what's happening and we're not going to com- be completely silent about it. So, um, yeah. There's your daily politics with Lucas. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> my my take. I'm I'm not usually a very political person. Yeah. So I, I gather this. <laughs> I I find that I'm I'm slightly neutral. But okay. you know. That's that's not the time or the place for it. But anyway, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode and the artist right. we're talking about. So today's artist is Foo Fighters. Yes. Just Foo Fighters. No, just Foo it's Fighters. It's just Foo Fighters. There's no, I mean, it's like with the Eagles. It's just Eagles, but when you talk about them, you say the Eagles. But okay. if when, like, on the episode title card, it'll just say Foo Fighters, not the Foo Fighters. There right. are people like The Who and The Killers where, you know, the the is an official part of their name. The Beatles. All right. We're talking about Foo Fighters. But it's just Foo Fighters. <laughs> so let's talk about their formation first because i know that dave grohl is a integral part of foo fighters he not just an integral part he pretty much is foo fighters or at least he was okay that's what i mean he was in the beginning for sure so for those of you that don't know who dave grohl is first off go watch our episode on nirvana because um that's where dave grohl pretty much came from came from he's the drummer that's right? what, what brought him to popularity he was the drummer not their initial drummer but he drummed on the two big ones never mind and in utero they actually had a different drummer first record not a lot of people know that hmm. and um when nirvana dissipated because kirk cobain killed himself mm-hmm. um just all of a sudden nirvana was just completely done it was mm-hmm. very abrupt and um, it left a toll on Dave because obviously, you know, when your bandmate does that, especially mm-hmm. when you're in a trio, mm-hmm. you know, that trio can get pretty close or they can absolutely hate each other like the police did. <laughs> um, then, you know, he was just, he was left in this really low place. And he said that like for a year, he didn't even like play music because just he, every time he played, he just thought about Kurt. Mm. And just, he got to a point where he said that, like, he had to do something or else he was, like, seriously thinking that he might be in the same place. Mm-hmm. And so there was a recording studio, like, just down the street from him. And he had all of these songs that he had written over, like, the last six or seven years, just just by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Nirvana would be recording and everyone else would leave and he would kind of just stay behind and, like, with a little, like, eight-track 
recorder just records some songs just for the heck of it. Mm -hmm. Never intending to use it, never meaning to show it to anyone. And when he went to the studio, he still had that same intention. This was not meant for anyone. This was for, he called it like musical therapy. Mm -hmm. He, the process of writing and recording all that music um, really kind of helped him discover his love for music again and kind of help him see like his future beyond what had happened. Because like people were offering him jobs left and right to play for him and he kept turning them down because mm-hmm. he was the freaking drummer for Nirvana. Right. right. So he makes what would become the first Foo Fighters album com- <laughs> completely by himself. Wow. The only other guy he had was someone helping him like run the soundboard and, and doing the engineering part as well right. as I think one guy came in and did like a guest guitar part mm-hmm. on one song. But everything else... Drums, bass, guitar, vocals, it was all him. It's like Prince. Yeah, so that's (laughs) pretty similar. So he just just had it for himself, and he gave some copies to some friends. He didn't tell them who it was. He was just like, hey, I heard about this new underground band that's coming up. What do you think? (laughs) And they'd be like, oh, man, this is really cool. And then he would tell them, that's me. And they'd go, well, it's not that cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. But some people that he gave copies to decided to forward it off to the record label. Okay. And they contacted him and said, hey, we just listened to your demo tapes, and this is really cool. We want to release it. And he was like, uh, okay, sure. Not thinking that it would be anything. He didn't even put his name on it. Mm-hmm. He didn't advertise it that it was his band. Mm-hmm. He didn't want any preconceived notions that, you know, it's supposed to be the the sequel to Nirvana. Mm-hmm. He just put it out as Foo Fighters. You know, it's even putting the plural with the name, making you think that it's more than one guy playing. Mm-hmm. He, it wasn't advertised that this is a one-man band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kind of liked the anonymity of it. That's pretty cool. That's that's kind of like one of those uh, uh, dreams of mine where I kind of write all the stuff myself and then have a fake band. Uh-huh. That's super cool. I didn't even know that's what was happening. Okay. Yeah, but of course, I would say pretty quickly the word got out that right. it was Dave Grohl. Right. Um, I don't remember, or I don't think I read how they figured it out, but it, it was like before the album even officially came out, people figured out who it was. Wow. But, you know, in the initial process of them announcing it and all that, it was a mystery. And, mm-hmm. um, and it ended up becoming like this big hit. Mm-hmm. He had several hit singles off of it, and he had to quickly put a band together to start touring for it. And the band that he puts together ends up becoming the band that plays on the second record, mm-hmm. for the most part. And the second record is kind of the record that launches Foo Fighters big, which is The Color and Shape, which okay. we have a song off of that mm-hmm. album here and so that's you know that had everlong on it and oh yeah my hero oh yes and so that was kind Ooh. of like that was like their big record that was just like okay Foo fires is not just a you know side project or you know this minor thing like they're the next big group mm-hmm. and um he had a his guitarist during that time or like his lead guitarist was because mm-hmm. he played guitar Yes, he did. In the band. Live. He he yeah, he plays rhythm all the rhythm parts. Okay. I think he will occasionally play some leads, but for the most part That's weird. He got a different guy drumming. 
Well, originally, <laughs> yes. The studio, but... Originally, yes. Oh, really? uh, okay. The guy that jumped from on the first tour was supposed to record the second album, but he ended up just... Dave Grohl decided he wasn't cutting it. And so he um, didn't kick him out of the band, but he went ahead and re-recorded all the drum parts himself. So that's where the for the most part comes in. Yes. And the drummer did not like the fact that he uh, did that, and so the drummer quit. Wow. Because he was just like, dude, you didn't tell me you were going to do this, and you just re-recorded all my drum parts. But Dave Grohl was totally okay with him still touring, and but that guy was not cool with it, so he was just like, I'm out. Wow. Um, and also his, his lead guitarist at the time was Pat Smear, who was the second guitarist when Nirvana would tour. Like, mm. you know, like as a backing guitarist. Because mm-hmm. they were a trio, so anytime, you know, Kurt Cobain would do like a solo or anything, just to like fill the space whenever, you know, because obviously in the studio they double track it to where it's, you know, you still have the guitar going on during the solo. And so Pat Smear would be with them uh, during that. So he was already kind of a, a longtime buddy of Dave's. And so he was just like, hey, just come along with me on Foo Fighters. Um, Pat would leave after The Color and the Shape, but he would come back in like 2008 or nine, and he's been with them since then. Okay, so so before we start mentioning too many years, yeah, uh, Kurt Cobain died in 94, right? Yes. And so and Foo, Fight- Foo Fighters came First, around 96 I want to say so. Either it might be 95. Hmm. I can I can fact check this real quick. It was... Um, so so they're, they started mid-90s, basically. Yes. I, I know for sure Color and Shape was 97. Are they still going, or are they... Oh, yeah. They had a... They were, I think they are supposed to have a new album this year. Huh. That kind of got disrupted. 95 was the first record. Um, Color and Shape, 97. And then the third record was 99, and that's when he got Taylor Hawkins as his drummer, mm-hmm. who was Alanis Morissette's drummer, which I didn't know that before I did all this research. This is, these are a lot of names that I'm unfamiliar with. Oh man, Taylor Hawkins, he's he is emerging as one of my favorite drummers. Okay. He's so solid. Okay. But something I learned was that on their 99 album, There's Nothing Left to Lose, mm-hmm. um, only half of the album features Taylor's drumming. Because again, Dave um, was kind of like, uh, I think I need to step in and play some of these songs. Mm-hmm. But Taylor was okay with that because he kind of felt that he was out of his depth at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a big Nirvana fan. He kind of already looked up to Dave Grohl as, right. a, as a drummer and was just like, oh, gosh, you know, it's Glass really... Glass half full, he's keeping half my drum parts. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's like, he was he said that he was really nervous being in the studio with Dave Grohl watching his drummer. Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness, I would. Yeah, but um, Taylor Hawkins got really good really quickly because that guy's a monster drummer. Monster. And a great singer, too. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, 99, they were big again after that, uh, and then they kind of had a bit of a, a lower point in 2002 with the, um, what was it called? A one by One. Hmm. Um, that's kind of considered their weakest record, just mm-hmm. because they, they were going through a lot of, that was kind of like their, you know, we're battling with drugs and writer's block and mm-hmm. and internal frictions they, they in the band. Black Sabbath. Yeah, but <laughs> they rebounded pretty quick because then after that, yeah. it's been great record after great record after great record after great record. So you've got, That's yeah. Because nice. after that was In Your Honor, 
which wasn't as big, but, you know, it's kind of set the stage. And then from then on, Echo Silence and Patience was huge. Wasting Light was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonic Highways was huge. Mm-hmm. Concrete and Gold was huge. And they were all great records. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Foo Fighters is just... And they're still going. They're reliable. They're, they toured with Rush, didn't they? I remember, I remember there being a thing where they... I remember... I don't remember that... Although they are they are big Rush fans, mm-hmm. they've said so before. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember hearing way back in the day they had come to Tulsa, mm-hmm. and their opening act was Motorhead. Wow! And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, Mo- Motorhead doesn't open for anyone. Oh my goodness! And I was just like, well, I mean, yeah, Food Fighters are great, but Motorhead, Motorhead no, I feel like that should be the other way around. I would probably. I would probably leave after Motorhead. Not because Foo Fighters are bad, but it's just, it's not a good transition, you know? Oh, I would have stayed for the whole thing, but... Well, it's like listening Metallica, and then you have, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival after. It's like, not a bad band, it's just the energy just... Oh, no, the energy's pretty insane with Foo Fighters, if you've ever watched Compared to Motorhead? Yeah, I mean, it's a different kind of energy, but it is, I mean, you... Like, I kind of sweat watching Foo Fighters play live <laughs> because Dave Grohl just, like, gets after it. And those guys just put on a great energetic show. That's nice. I mean, it's, again, it's not a heavy metal show like Motorhead's is. But also, Lemmy's not known for, like, running around on stage. He just kind of, like, just hangs out and plays his bass. Well, they're not really show many guys like Foo Fighters are. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Hawkins is really fun to watch play drums. He's a boy shirtless. He's got that. He makes the best faces. <laughs> Drummer faces. Uh-huh. The lemon face. The you know, eat something sour. No, it's it's kind of like a like he's got his mouth open. He's he's kind of gritting shows, his teeth. Yeah, but it's but it's he's like a ah, like he's almost like he's screaming. Ah, like um, oh, there's somebody who does that. Are, are, I know what face what face you're you're talking about. Yeah, because you just did it in front of me. Yeah, but I'm also trying to describe it for our listeners. <laughs> yeah. um, uh. But Foo Fighters, they're really kind of like the last great rock and roll band, hmm. as far as just that that have gotten to that massive of a scale mm. to where they're like, you know, constantly filling up stadiums and mm-hmm. and are just pure rock and roll. They're nothing else. There's no there's no pop seeping in or I mean a, a tiny little bit cuz they've got great hooks, but it's you know, they don't I mean pop seeps into every genre. But in the sense of like they're not chasing after radio. They're not Even though they're on the radio. Even yeah, that's that's the the power of their songwriting. Right. But you know they they don't ever take detours into like let's let's do like an electronic album or you know kind of like how Muse did mm-hmm. where it's they try and you know get like up to times. Foo Fighters like don't give a rip about what's popular. They literally just make the mu- so, exactly the music they want to make. So do they ever have different albums? Do they ever? Oh yeah, they do. Okay, but it's not based on what the trends are. Well, that's good. They, they just, should do that. Yeah, because just kind of follow whatever their musical influences. Yeah, from. they'll just they'll kind of just go. What if we made an album that sounded like this? Usually, there's always kind of like a bit of a, a grand experiment. Like there's always a a challenge to their songwriting per yeah. album. Like uh, for Wasting Light, 
which I think is their best album. And that mm. came out in like 2011. Mm. Um, they decided to record everything on tape in Dave Grohl's house. And so like... They uh, all, I remember you mentioning something they, like that. They all brought their families over and um, like, like while the kids would all be like playing in the pool, they'd be inside recording... And it was just like, let's just try and like record an album the way people recorded in the seventies, because that's where all our favorite music came from. And we think it objectively sounds better. <laughs> and that album sounds so freaking good. Well, that, that's kind of where you get into the, the tube amp snobs and the tape snobs and mm, the oh, got to record at Dave Grohl's a tape one snob. million megahertz or whatever. One million megahertz. Just the evidence is just wasting light in of itself it's such a great record and the songwriting is just on point is the sound engineering that good yeah is it is it objectively way better it sounds so good it's so clear and everything just melds together so well wow it is a good it sounds good it kicks you right in the gut from that first track that's interesting i'll have to listen to that yeah I'll, whenever we take a break, I'll show you what the first track sounds like because it's fire. Um, <laughs> it's fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then the follow-up from that, Sonic Highways, like the challenge they put on themselves for that was we're going to take a tour around the world and we're going to record each song in a different city in an iconic music scene and our song is going to reflect that music scene. That's pretty cool. So this is stuff that I don't think I would ever do. Yeah, and they also <laughs> the companion piece was they made a documentary out of it too that went on HBO, and it was called Sonic Highways. And so they show you the whole process of recording that song. They talk about all of the artists that were big at that time. Like you know, here were all the scenes that were big in this city. Like the the first episode was on Chicago, mm-hmm. and so they talk about what are what are all the big Chicago bands. Um, mm-hmm. You know what were the Chicago? Sp- yeah, but actually, we'll talk about Chicago <laughs> mainly because Chicago. Doing? I don't think sounded as much like a lot of the, the underground scenes that were going on. They talked a lot about Cheap Trick. Ah, um, oh, yes. And they talked a lot about the blues scene. You know, that's where mm, I'm going to try and remember. Howlin' Wolf was there, and Bo Diddley was there, and so they kind of incorporate that. And then there was also the, uh, the un- Stevie Wonder's from Chicago, isn't he? Uh, maybe. I have to double check on that. But the other thing they talked about was the punk scene there. Oh, okay. Um, so, and so that was just, that was the challenge of that record. And then the challenge of Concrete and Gold, which is a really great record, and it's really different from what they sound, which was like in 2017, mm-hmm. was what if we got a pure pop producer to make our album, but we still write all rock and roll songs. Oh, that's cool. And that <laughs> is a really cool sounding record. Because it kind of sounds like what a lot of the pop music was as far as, like, the sounds. Because I remember in 2017, all of the pop music was, like, really fuzzy and really kind of, like, misty sounding, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Just, like, it wasn't, like, as, like, 80s, like, clear, sheeny pop. Like, it was, everything was drenched in reverb and... Oh, man. But it's but it sounds so cool when they do... they. He really puts an emphasis on, like, background vocals and harmonies. But at the same time, it's still, like, a good kick-ass Foo Fighters It's record. still rock. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, that's just, that's kind of the mode that, that, um, that Dave Grohl kind of does. 
is that he's kind of just like, let's do something really crazy for each album. Kind of like do something that we're not used to doing. Instead of just, let's just go in the record and make, go into the studio and make another record. Mm-hmm. There's kind of like a, let's see if we can make a record under these conditions. Let's see if we could do it. See, those are different conditions than I would think other bands do. I mean, you know, some bands like Metallica, let's write a whole album without bass, you know. And, <laughs> but no, and some bands try to write a whole album where there's only one guitar track or it's all live or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. This is completely different. Yeah. It's not in the, yeah, it's... It's not in what instruments we're using. It's like... It's kind of almost in the way that it's... The way it's... Everything behind the scenes. Uh-huh. Which, I, whenever I was looking into all this, it was really fascinating to kind of see that trend with the, specifically the last three albums. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say that, you know, I don't think we would have gotten a new record this year, mm-hmm. but I think they would have started working on one. Because it's been quite a while since we've had, had one. When was the last one? 2017. So it's been three years now. Oh, that's not a while. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, tool I guess, system of down. I'm just that's, saying that's 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 a bit more extreme, though. Um, for them, it's 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 due time for them to have one. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I say all that to say that they don't just they don't see what's popular mm-hmm. and do that kind of like you know you look at. I think Muse is a really good example to look at. Like when Dubstep got really big. They like totally jumped on that bandwagon to see right. if we could input dubstep. Whenever '80s retro pop was really big, mm-hmm. they're like, "Let's make our album '80s retro pop," mm-hmm. um, while still trying to, you know, arrange it to where it fits in their right. mold. But you could tell that they're trying to stay relevant by picking up what's big. Foo Fighters is not doing that. They're almost kind of like. The ACDC of their time. It's we just... have a Muse episode, by the way. Yes. We want to hear more about Muse. Uh-huh. Before Lucas starts contradicting himself from that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Was I starting to? Well, I remember us talking about how they were always just following their own Muse. I mean, songwriting-wise, yeah, but you can also see where it's like, you know... They always, they always still channel it into something that's uniquely them... But, oh, I got you. Okay. But they 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 have a habit of kind of like just repurposing whatever is big at that time. Um, but like eight, you look at a band like ACDC, they literally don't give two flips about <laughs> what the trends are. Yeah. You kind of know exactly. They're still writing stuff today, too. Yeah. I which think is crazy. I think there's a new album in the works, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, but... Yeah, the Foo Fighters are kind of the same way. They're it's always going to sound like the Foo Fighters, but they're also really good at like just not doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You kind of get something new each time, but but you don't you don't ever have to like go. Oh no, are they going to like completely change their sound? No. Yeah, I do like it when bands change their approach, but it's still them. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, one band that I really think of is like Rush. Yeah. Because they're still distinctly, which we talked about Rush earlier, they're still distinctly Rush throughout every phase of their career. But they're so different from But there's like the super proggy phase, there's the super duper proggy phase, and then there's There's, kind of their synth. They're the new wave phase. And then they get back to the basics in kind of the 90s. And 
I wouldn't say basics. It's more kind of just. It's almost gr- like they do a little bit of a grunge pivot. Well, that, that back to the basics of their very early '70s stuff is what I mean. Mm, yeah. As in, like their very first album. <laughs> Maybe. Where it's just kind of anyway. Uh, a, we also have another. We also have a rush episode. Yeah, which I'm actually not on. We we don't we don't <laughs> go past like movie pictures on that episode, but we will because we're gonna revisit Rush many 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 times. Ooh. We're gonna look at every little part of their career. Okay, because it's because it it changes, but yeah. it's still them. Mm-hmm. That's my point. So. Yes. So, uh, but I I do believe that they are the last great rock and roll band. Yes, there have been other bands that have come after them, but as not far to as the extent that. N- yeah, none of them. The only other one maybe I could say is Muse. Because hmm. we kind of also talk about in that episode that they're they're maybe also the last. You said that in the killers group. too. Yeah. But they're more pop. Again, they're they've got Muse and Killers just have a little bit more of that pop sensibility. I'm talking about just like straight rock. Straightforward rock and roll that you could have found like in the seventies and eighties to where it's just like there's no other tag to put this. Mm-hmm. It's just rock and roll, and they can. And not only do they continue to make great rock and roll records, but they continue to win new fans. Yeah, let's talk about their name. Yes. So the Foo Fighters is is that's a like a slang term for a UFO. Okay. Is that it? Yeah. Pretty okay. Much. <laughs> I didn't know if there was a story behind it. Or he anything. just he just wanted something that was mysterious and. Just, again, to kind of throw people off that it's him. And now, is Dave Grohl British? Does he say it like Foo Fighters? No, he's okay. from... I want to say he's from, like, California. <laughs> okay, so he doesn't. Because I, I, I used to watch those late-night History Channel documentaries, and yeah, uh-huh. they always have the the British uh, historians that would call him Foo Fighters. Yeah, no, he's not so, British. Okay. Not even close. That's kind of disappointing, actually. <laughs> no, no one in the band is British. This is an American band. Let's actually talk about their lineup as well, like the instruments. Yes, for sure. Yeah. What instrumentation do they have? So they have three guitarists in their band right now. Okay, that was not expected. Yeah. Wow. So you've got you've got Dave. Right. Got Pat Smear. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got to look up what the other names are because I can't (laughs) ever remember them. They have a singular bassist. They're not that extreme. Yeah. Singular bassist, singular drummer. And then, like, they have a keyboard player that is not, like, officially part of the band, but he, like, is their guy they always use when they go out on tour and stuff. And he plays, like, the other stuff. Just, like, you know, in times where it's needed. Like, there's one song of theirs that has an accordion on it, and live, he'll just pull out the accordion and start playing it. Hmm. Um, but the, the keys are usually never in the forefront of any of their songs. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear very many keys in the six songs we were going to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's more of just, like... Uh, a texture hmm. just you know maybe to fill out some sound or you know which when you have three guitar players you yeah. think that enough sound is being filled but you it never sounds overbearing but they didn't become a three guitar band until pat rejoined the band in the late 2000s so pat left the band yes and then they got replaced by so he got replaced with chris shefflett who was has been with them this whole time mm-hmm. and so when pat came back mm-hmm. They, instead of, kick, they pulled an Iron Maiden, where, mm-hmm. you know, when Adrian Smith left, mm-hmm. they had Janet Gears come in, but when Adrian Smith returned, instead of kicking out Janet, they were just like, well, we'll just have three guitar players now. That's pretty cool. And then uh, Nate Mendel has been his bassist ever since he did that very first tour. So he's, 
the only one that's been with him the whole time. Well, because he's the godfather of... No, you're talking about the bassist. Yeah, the bassist. Oh, Nate my Mendel. lord. Yeah, okay, cool. Nate Mendel and Dave he's, Grohl are the only the one... Dave he's the Dave Ellison. Yeah, but you know that Dave left in the middle of the late 90s or 2000s, right? Uh, yeah. I know that, but we don't we don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about that era. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, he's... They've both been since 95. Him and Dave, so... Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone else has pretty much been consistent. Taylor Hawkins has been with them since 99, so has Chris Shefflett. And then mm-hmm. Pat was originally in the 90s, left... Then came back in like twenty, like oh eight, oh nine, somewhere around there, and so they've had a pretty consistent lineup. It's not been a revolving door, but that's that's pretty much the gist of their lineup. Okay, I don't think we can get much further without talking about their songs. Yeah, so, so we should get to that. Yeah, we can go ahead and take a break here. So when we come back, we're gonna get into the six songs we picked. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Foo Fighters and who they are and their lineup and their history. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we've picked for this episode. So, what do we mean by six songs, Lucas? So, the six songs, for those of you that are listening for the first time, is just our way of being able to concretely talk about the elements of the band, kind of what they're about, their songwriting, as well as if you're... um, if you've never listened to this band before, this is going to be your best first impression of them. It's going to be your good starting point to kind of get you introduced to who they are, what they're about. And um, I also pick them in a way to where they transition well off of each other. The songs have a purpose instead of just being a random selection. So uh, I'm not necessarily just picking the six best songs or mm-hmm. their six most popular songs. Because arguably their most popular song is not even on this list. Yeah, no. So, and their second most popular song is not on this list either. Well, what would you say that song is? I would say that that it's Foo Fighters. Sorry, Foo Fighters. Good lord, that's who we're talking about. My Hero and Everlong. I wouldn't say My Hero is their second most. I would say... I would say that is their most. My Hero is? Mm-hmm. Mm, not according to uh, what we're going to look at on the charts. All right, okay. <laughs> I would say their second most is on this list. But okay. So... Uh, anyway, so it's, it's not just that, like, you know, I'm not picking, these are my six favorite Foo Fighters songs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, these are the songs that are going to be your best first step into listening to them, as well as creating a great emotional listening experience. Mm-hmm. The way that you can listen to these songs is to click on the link in the description of the episode that'll take you to our Spotify playlist. Also, just a little side note, I'm going to be experimenting on also getting a list similar on Apple Music for those of you guys that prefer that as your listening uh, platform. Mm-hmm. So in future episodes, I might say Spotify or Apple. We're going to have like tons of links for everything yeah. in all of our episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of description and then tons of links. Yeah. 
So, uh, let's go ahead and get into the first song. This is Best of You. I've got another confession to make. Right. What a great, just like, just solo vocal opening. I think one of the one of the best ones. Yeah, and if you listen with headphones, you can actually hear his lips open uh-huh. to sing the first line, which is really interesting, and I, I think they left that in intentionally yeah. because it adds a little bit of humanity to it. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's Dave Grohl is all about making sure you guys remember that it's human beings playing. Yeah, no, you can definitely hear that in, in this song especially, but in the ensuing songs as well. Yes. So I think like this was a, a cool way to open things up Mm-hmm. Just like have it silence, and then just Dave Grohl just makes his presence known right up at the front. Mm-hmm. This is what I would actually probably say is their second most popular song. Yeah, see, I've definitely heard this song before. I just didn't know it was them because this is what got the highest charting of any of their songs, even Everlong. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to say it got up to like number fourteen. Wow. Um, even though Foo Fighters are on the radio, they're not as much like a radio band. Especially not at that time when rock wasn't as popular. Mm-hmm. And they also never wrote to get on the radio. It mm-hmm. just happened to be that they wrote for the arena first. Mm-hmm. Which, a lot of times... Oh, there goes that watch again. <laughs> um, and, you know, they wrote for that first. And that does translate well to radio. I mean, Queen was really, really good at that. Right. Um, and also they have said that Queen is their favorite band of all time, which makes me love them even more because that's my favorite <laughs> band. Um, but you can tell that they pulled from them their ability to write anthems. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole reason behind Best of You. They literally wrote this to have something for fans to not just sing along to, but just scream their guts out to. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does on this record, and it really works. Because this is also our first way to talk about the Dave Grohl scream. Yes. Because okay. he, he is he is really good at it. And we're going to see that in, in more songs on this list. Yeah. Are you talking about that little bridge section in here? Just And just the way that he can just sing with that, just that throaty growl to it. Even, when, even when he is singing, like you can hear notes, just his way to just like, it's he's not just pure singing, but he's just mm-hmm. like, he's just giving There's it There's a little bit of got. angst. Yeah. It's got the ting angst from Nirvana still. Mm-hmm. So, um, originally, though, this was not going to be on the album because mm. they felt like it wasn't that good of a song. Wow. And uh, it was after they were kind of strong-armed by their managers, it was like, oh, you got to release a song. that, And then they saw how people responded to it, and they were like, oh, okay, we get this now. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to a little bit just kind of reference back to Prince here because mm-hmm. Prince did maybe the greatest Super Bowl halftime show ever. We talked about that with mm-hmm. where he played Purple Rain in the middle of the pouring rain. Yeah. But in the middle of that he actually starts playing Best of You. And does a really cool take of it. Wow. And Taylor Hawkins was just like, I can't tell if he's like trolling us. Like <laughs> saying, here, let me let me make this stupid song better because Prince had kind of been a little bit vocal about who he wasn't a fan of the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he covered one of their songs. So he's just mm-hmm. like, I can't tell if he's making fun of us or if he's like, oh, you guys made a good song. Good job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's like, either way, it was good for us because mm-hmm. <laughs> Prince yeah. is singing our song in front of on literally like the biggest stage in the world. Right. That's crazy. 
So um, they so they never did a halftime show, but they were in no, a halftime oh show. Oh man, that they're one of those bands that needs to do a halftime show. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, this song is is literally just you know I, the the lyrics are in a way to where it's I don't think that there was anything meant to be like super deep about it. Although you know obviously you know it's it was written in a way that people can connect to it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's about you know kind of standing up and you know kind of not taking what's being given to you. I swear mm-hmm. I'll never give in, I'll refuse. Mm-hmm. And just kind of fighting against what is oppressing you. <laughs> and and probably and calling I'm sure some other people to do the same as someone mm-hmm. getting the best of you. Kind of saying, you know, I'm standing up against what's oppressing me. Join me and we'll stand stronger together. Yeah, okay. I did not pick that up. That's what I'm gathering from it. I honestly, I thought it was like somebody caught their uh, partner cheating and there's like, is somebody else getting like your attention? Like, is somebody else getting the best of your time? I I guess that makes more sense though, because like, he he came out of Nirvana and Mm -hmm. Nirvana was kind of the team. There's... Band. There, there always. I mean, there's always going to be an element of Nirvana in him because right. it was such a, it was such a force in his life at that right. time, and he's written many songs about Kurt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what my hero is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it's about. But I mean, you know, there could be. I mean, you could be right. You never know. Well, I just, okay, we will probably know at some point. Yeah, and it could be that there is, and I just, because I, I mean, I, I tried to figure out what was going on in all these songs, and I just, you know, I might just not have found the right thing that tells me. But, um, so tell me what you noticed, kind of what's going on musically in this song. I noticed. Since, no, you're, since you're more a music theory right, guy, so, so what I, are you picking out? First of all, they're not theory-centric. No. They are energy-centric. They're not a jammy band as much as maybe... Uh, Aerosmith or the other 90s bands at that time like Pearl Jam. I mean, they literally have jam in the name. But they're rocking the fact that everything they're doing is thought out. They have a definite structure. It's not just them kind of loosely playing whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in the middle like between the two extremes of Dream Theater and the Eagles. Uh-huh. You know, they're kind of where Led Zeppelin is. Yeah. Now the thing is, is that once they're live, they they jam. Yeah, they, well, they, I, can, I can imagine they stretch a lot of their songs out. To... But it's it's not jammy to the point of it's just oh us getting together playing music. Yeah, they they I, are intentional in the about behind, what they're playing. In the behind the scenes stuff that I've seen, they they are very intentional about crafting exactly what they're going to do on tape. Right, right, and and a very jammy quote unquote band wouldn't do that. Yeah. They just kind of show up to the studio and play the part, and mm-hmm. that'd be it. Um, so that's that's one of the big things I noticed. Another thing that I noticed, they very quickly um, progressed the song. Mm-hmm. They um, that's something that he borrowed from Nirvana about how right. you have these sudden shifts in dynamic. It's it's mm-hmm. not as much about build. Although they do have songs where they will they will gradually build. That's not as much the norm for them. There there'll be someone where it's something like. Like how it goes from he's doing the oh you want something new and I'll buy and then all of a sudden everyone's right. in like full volume. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. a that's a Foo Fighter staple. 
Right. And that's, again, that was a Nirvana staple. So that's kind of something that he was very much in his blood whenever he, mm-hmm. you know, transitioned. Is that he, and it was what a lot of people would try and use as a negative of them mm-hmm. whenever they were first starting out, just going, oh, that whole loud, soft thing, he's just repeating what Nirvana did. Well, yeah, because it worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're from love that. But, yeah. But, but no, it, it, not only that, but the fact that he didn't really repeat much of anything the same way mm-hmm. for pretty much the first two-thirds of the song. Yeah. And then once we got to the end, it even if he was repeating something vocally, the band was playing something more intense or mm-hmm. there was a different spin on it or there was maybe a slightly different guitar part or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you're, me and my, you know, I just got off of listening to, you know, the Eagles and Black Sabbath, and now we're on Foo Fighters, I'm expecting kind of that repetition. Uh-huh. And it's not there. Yeah. Which is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it makes you go like, wait, we're already that far into the song? But no, we're not. We're like two minutes into the song. He's just, the band is giving you something else now. Yeah. What was, what so, was, your, what was your favorite part of this song? What's... I like that intro. Yeah. I didn't like it initially. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a little jarring, and then I was just it's it. You can't start the set any other way. Yeah, it, it's so perfect. It is so perfect, and and the fact that his vocal line is melodic, but still but so full like, of grit. It's in your face. Yeah, he's and that's he's and I so love that. he's got a voice that is just so distinctly his. Mm-hmm. No one else sings like Dave Grohl, which is crazy because he wasn't initially a singer. He was just right. a drummer. Although he did backing vocals for Nirvana. Well, he sounds kind of like Kurt. And I mean, to an extent. There's no way you're not going to pick up on that with pretty much the master of of gnarly melodic singing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say arguably no one's done it better, but, mm-hmm. you know, Dave Grohl, man, he's up there. Yeah. So he learned from the master. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for me... The part that always like gets me on this song is is that you've got the big like, you know, picking mm-hmm. guitar part. I wouldn't call it a solo, but it's when you know. Yeah. After that chorus, and he goes into the. Oh, yes. Oh man. <laughs> I was just about to mention that, but yes. So again, that's the part. That's, that's what like, I, that's what I mean. Where it's like we're already two minutes in, we're already changing themes. Uh huh. That's the part you can tell like this was meant for like a crowd of sixty thousand people to just sing along to. Yep. That would and be when weird. I watched their Ooh. when I watched their live show and they bring it down, but he doesn't immediately go to the I've got another confession. He lets the crowd the crowd for like two full minutes just keeps going. Ah. And he like is like having a, a hilarious like almost fight with them where he's like, guys, we're going they're going to kick us off in like thirty minutes. You you gotta let us get to the next part of the song <laughs> and they keep singing and he's like laughing but and he's. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. It's kind of like the end of, um, oh, uh, S&M 2, when they did, like, The Memory Remains. Well, yeah, and they did, the, they did the all... the orchestra completely cut out, but the audience just wouldn't they shut did, up. <laughs> I haven't listened to S&M 2, but I've, they do the same thing on, uh, the Through the Never movie soundtrack. Oh. Where they stop and they keep, they're, like, standing around just like, are these guys gonna, he has to, like, start clapping to, like, get them to stop singing. That's how he diffuses it in Through the Never, at least. <laughs> he just sees this like, okay, and then they kind of all stop, stop singing and just start clapping. 
Yeah, the Unless, problem with that is 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 in uh, Best of You, they still have more song to go. Yeah, <laughs> they can't so, do that. Uh huh. But at the same time, you you can tell that Dave Grohl like loves it. Yeah. He's just he's he's just being funny with them. He's just like guys. <laughs> we're never That's gonna, really cool. We're never gonna finish. So. So yeah, and to me, Best of You is it's the way that it's structured. It's not. I feel like a normal song because it's it's almost like it's all build. Even when it goes down, you still feel like it's building because the emotion is building. Because when even when he's singing down, you can feel like there's more emotion building up. And of course, when it comes back in, it's just like... It feels like the whole song is like this big hype up. So that way, when the second song drops, it's just kind of like at this point, okay, now we're yeah, running. Yeah, which the second song is the song that we covered. Yes, that's on our YouTube channel. And it's Monkey Wrench. Which is my personal favorite Foo Fighters song. Ooh, it's off the album of my favorite song. Yeah. Which you already know my favorite song, so. Everlong. I actually discovered Everlong after our Soundgarden episode. Really? Soundgarden actually, you, you referenced Peter Gabriel as being probably the biggest influence that, that's been on this episode uh-huh. of, of me. Probably Soundgarden was. And it wasn't because I discovered Soundgarden, but Soundgarden helped me discover Alice in Chains and more Pearl Jam. So you ha- And I also Everlong. I figured you'd been listening to Alice in Chains this whole time with how much you referenced them. No. I, wow. It was after the Soundgarden episode that I discovered the Dirt album. Um, That's pretty cool. But See, these are the moments I that make me so happy. <laughs> but I just I love the 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 very different '90s energy in Soundgarden, and mm-hmm. so I just looked up a '90s song playlist. Yeah, off of YouTube, and Everlong was one of the songs, and I was mm-hmm. just like, wow. Yeah. And I never thought we'd do a Foo Fighters episode, but here we are. Oh yeah. But anyway, we're gonna do many Foo Fighters episodes. <laughs> same, same album though. Yes, it is. Um, Monkey Wrench. Mm-hmm. So let's actually talk about that song. <laughs> yes. So this was actually the first Foo Fighters song I ever heard. Okay. Because it was on Guitar Hero 2, and I had no idea who Dave Grohl of was. Of course. Um, <laughs> I will never apologize for hearing things for the first time on those games, because yeah. that's that's such a positive of them, is that it introduces people to a lot of music they may never hear on their own. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say that... It made me a fan, because mm-hmm. I was just like, Monkey Wrench, and it didn't do anything for me the first hundred times that I played it on the game. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until I started listening to the Foo Fighters, like, mm-hmm. years and years later. Uh, I want to say that uh, Best of You was one of the first Foo Fighters songs I listened to, and I was just like, ooh, I really like that song. Um, and uh, a so- another song we're going to talk about here in a minute was another one of my first ones where I was like sitting down and listening to the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. And even then, I wouldn't say it was until about maybe like four or five years ago that I actually started like listening to the records. And because I had a good friend of mine that is a was a big Foo Fighters fan. So I was like, you got to listen to more of their stuff. Mm-hmm. And was he was the one that turned me on to watching the Sonic Highways mm-hmm. documentary and uh, just kind of playing stuff just like, me thinking I had this preconceived notion of what the Foo Fighters were. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, they're just, you know, they're just a rock band, you know, cool, cool. And he was just like, no, man, they're so much better than just a rock band. Mm-hmm. And he, he played me a couple of songs, and I was just like, ooh, okay, okay, mm-hmm. there's, I see what you're getting at here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was at that time that I revisited Monkey Wrench, and I was just like, oh my 
gosh, this song is freaking great. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah, uh, that opening guitar line is just perfect. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a good transition from the kind of free flowy, reverby, delay arena rock that we just had, uh-huh. and we're still heavy. We're still hard rock. Mm-hmm. But, but the mood has changed. But the mood is, has gone from arena, and now it's we're in the studio. Yeah, and also it's moved from like it's this song is fun even when it's aggressive. It's in major. It's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's an upbeat, fun song. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't help but, like, in, like, there's different variations of the stink face, but this is like a, you, you're smiling while you're stink facing <laughs> listening to this song. Yeah, no, yeah. I tried to, to, uh, reflect that in the video. Hopefully I did. But, um, which I haven't showed you yet, so. Oh, is the video done? Well, it's not done now, it'll be done to our listeners, but I'll um, show you as soon as it's completed. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, because, yeah, you guys can just go watch it. You can see what he's talking about. I haven't seen it yet at the time of this recording. Uh, but, um, so, my video editing skills are limited, but hopefully I did that. Um, but it was also, yeah, it was a fun song to play. It was really hard. It it You can see that Dave Grohl has some stamina, both vocally, in that bridge section, which we can talk about in a minute. And yeah. then also... All the guitar players in the and even the bass player, I'm sure you you can correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. You need stamina to play this song because it's just mm-hmm. chugging chords the whole time. Yeah, dynamically, now their base, it's not. Their bass yeah. player does play with a pick, which I mm-hmm. think makes playing the bass easier. I decided yeah. to, to do it the hard way, which is easier for me because better I, tone. And I just am really terrible at playing with a pick. <laughs> um, so I fingered it, but you know, mm-hmm. playing at that speed with fingers is. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't cut it up into different parts. I just went right through it. Yeah, which was really impressive. I thought I was going to sneeze, but I didn't. All right. <laughs> I'll edit that. <laughs> um, anyway. So, I think the cool thing about these cover songs is that it's going to really allow us to dig deep into talking about it because we now don't just know the song from listening to it. We mm-hmm. know them intimately. We know how all the parts are played. Yeah. Um, and we can really just kind of talk about kind of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, I'll kind of start with, you know, I really gained a lot more respect for Dave Grohl's drumming. Right. This because I've always admired him as a drummer. I've always known that he's one of the great rock drummers ever. That's because I would have been told. I always thought, maybe is that a little overrated? Mm -hmm. After having to put that down to recording, Mm. I was just like, oh my gosh, this song is so tough to play. Yeah, It's so fast, and at the same time, he's he's so precise. I felt like I did as good of a job as I could have. Yeah. Especially for, I mean, what you're hearing on that is one take. That's not Mm -hmm. several takes put together. Mm -hmm. Um. That that was like the fourth or fifth take, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this." I remember I did the first take, and I was like, "Nope, I can't do this. Yeah, this is too tough." And then it got a little easier. Yeah, it did. It didn't help with me in your ears trying to play the guitar with the stamina that I had. Yeah, <laughs> the day uh, of. Uh huh. But eventually, I got one that I was happy enough with. Happy enough. It sounds great. Thank but, you. Um... I try not to be too. Uh tooting my own horn here I'll, I'll let you do that for me and i'll talk about how good your guitar parts sound um but i mean just he 
Dave Grohl is just so good at just being like, he's so tight. He's such a tight drummer. And that's something I feel like to a common listener can be taken for granted because tight players are not always flashy players. Mm-hmm. But there's just, you can always count on them to hit the drum the same amount of intensity every single time. Like for me, some of the toughest parts was doing those snare runs. Technically, they're not tough. Mm-hmm. But you have to hit it in a way to where every hit is exactly the same amount of intensity. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just... Where it's like, you know, you've got to make sure it all sounds even. And it's got to be freaking in your face. Mm-hmm. It's not like a... It's not a low volume snare roll. Like, you can hear it in the original recording that he is just beating the heck out of that snare drum. Yeah, he probably went through about two or three drum heads to record this track. Yeah. Not you, Dave Grohl. <laughs> and and then just the speed. I even there's even a couple of sections where, you know, he's playing eighth notes and I play quarter notes. Like on those on the part where there's the main riff is playing. Uh-huh. That's he's doing eighth notes there. And I was just like, I can't get through this song if I do that. So I'm gonna just kinda cheat a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you know, it lets just, everything breathe if you do that, though. Yeah, but we'll say that. But when Dave Grohl plays it, it's still it sounds so great. It does. But a lot of respect for Dave Grohl. Yes, for and that scream in the middle. Yeah, which so I promised we'd talk about. Yes, yeah, so that's kind of like the big moment of the song, and it was when we were decided to record it. That was the one little monkey on my back that was just like, oh, <laughs> I really want to do this song, but I I don't want to do that. Part. I don't. It's not that I don't want to do it, it's that I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. Because that scream is just, like, it's so crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, nobody can nobody can scream like that. Like, I was, I was like, I was always thinking, yeah, the drum part's going to be hard. Bass, well, that won't be too difficult. But And then I was like, and then singing, yeah, that's going to be fun. But I knew at the very end of it, I'm going to have to do this scream. And I remember thinking about it. I was checking the drums. And I was like, I'm getting close to that scream. It was mm-hmm. almost like it was like a like a horror movie. Like, you know yeah. that the monster's at the end. Mm-hmm. And you just got to. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Where you know the drop is coming and you can't stop it. But you uh-huh. just have to go with it. So. But. It was, it was the very last take that we did, because the uh, other yeah, because you were gonna destroy your voice was your was your and fear. each and each one I was just like that scream's not right that one's not that's not the one and mm-hmm. then <laughs> and then the last one that I did that was the one that we kept. yeah and and you can hear it in the take now I cut it out in the in the final song but you could hear it in the take he goes yes. That was the one. Uh-huh. So when I was mixing it, <laughs> I, I rediscovered that, and I'm like, yeah, it was the one. <laughs> yeah. But no, that was such a fun song to mix because it, there was so much energy in every part. Uh-huh. None of the parts laid back. No. And so you had to really worry about getting things compressed at the right level but not ruining their character and level setting so you could hear everything, and EQing so nothing takes up each other's space in the mix. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was a nightmare, but it was okay. It was a, it was a good kind of nightmare. Yeah, I'm sure you learned a lot about it. I did learn a lot, yeah. So. Yeah, and then um, props to Nate Mendel for that uh, that really tasty chorus bass line. Yeah, That was my favorite, that was yes. my favorite part to play in, on bass. Because the guitars during the chorus are just doing the chords. Mm-hmm. But that bass line, oh, yeah, oh, it's good. Yeah. And it was really fun to play on, on that five string and not just do it in the 
the drop D. Right. Because I had to get a little creative with the fingering, and it was really mm-hmm. fun to kind of crack that code. Mm-hmm. So well, drop D is fun on guitar. Yeah. So yeah, talk about talk about your experience recording the guitars for this. Okay. Kind of what you <laughs> deciphered from their approach oh, to guitars. Man. Oh my goodness. So James Hetfield is notoriously good for having a great right hand, and he can just downstroke for days and days and days at whatever BPM he needs to. Mm-hmm. Same with these guys. I mean, good lord. I had to practice this song for a few days to build up the stamina to get a good take. Yeah. You know, because I, 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 I was not satisfied with, you know, oh, I mumbled that part or, or I fumbled that part mm-hmm. and I can just hide it in the mix, you know, because everything stood out in this mix. Yeah. Um, Whereas I could get away with that on other songs and, you know, whatever. Um, it taught me a lot about that. And then it also taught me a lot about different guitars, even though they're playing the same part, quote-unquote, they can be playing it differently. Yeah. And the effects of that. Because I knew that intellectually, but I never actually did it in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll hear during, like, the chorus on the main recording and on our recording that, that there'll be two guitars playing the same chord progression, but they'll be playing it slightly differently. Mm. And so it, it brings a little bit of character into filling in the entire spectrum Mm -hmm. and giving it that wall of sound. Yeah. So at that point they still just had the two guitar players. There's three guitar parts on the, on the recording, but yeah, but yeah, they had set someone did something twice. Mm -hmm. I don't know who did what, but Mm -hmm. I mean, even when you have three, to not make it feel like there's an overload of guitar mm-hmm. means that everyone's playing something very nuanced and very um, intentional mm-hmm. to where it's, you know, again, it's not about three guitars challenging them for spotlight. Mm-hmm. It's about them all working together to make something that's truly grand. Mm-hmm. Which, so, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the fact that compositionally they were able to play kind of the same little hooks, you know, mm-hmm. the same little beat add-ins like the da 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 da, you know, shows up in that song a million times, but then yeah. it fits every single time. I was it's... that was something I was surprised by was how many of the things repeated, but just in different variations. Right. I didn't realize it until I sat down and I was like, oh wait, this is this part, but just a little bit different. Right. This is what this is what the theme and variation of Saint Anger was supposed to be. Mm. in my mind when yeah. when when a band does something like this with theme and variation i really like that mm-hmm. but i know that i probably will never get there just because of the way i am compositionally and that's uh-huh. okay yeah but i really respect that see i that's that's my bread and butter i love to figure yeah. out like how can we use the same two or three things but in like continuously evolving in unique ways mm-hmm. it's the reason why a band like dream theater i love them so much mm-hmm. um so yeah, Monkey Wrench. It is a um, it is a kicking song. Also, vocally, my favorite part is the very ending, the outro with the fall in, fall out. Yes, that yes. part just always warms my heart every time I mm-hmm. hear it because it's just like it's that little touch that you would like not think to ever put it in the song because it's at the very end. But then, like you hear it, and you're just like, ah, oh, that just ties everything up together so well. It does, yeah, yeah. And so. Um, We'll go ahead and transition here to the third song, which is... All right, so this is Learn to Fly? Yes. Learning to Fly, Learn to Fly? I think it's... 
it's a it's a step back. Learn to fly. It, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a step back from the energy of the first two songs. Yes, which is intentional. We're at a lower tempo. We've kind of got a little bit more of that everything, atmosphere. Everything's open. Everything rings mm -hmm. out. Right, um, and there is that dynamic change, but it's known as sudden. Uh -huh. um, especially during like the first verse, the guitars kind of just ring out mm -hmm. instead of boop, and then there's just bass and drums. Yeah. Um, which is a welcome change, I would say. It would kind of get old if every song did that in this list. Uh-huh. Um, this was really close to my favorite song, actually. Wow. Yeah. Be because of the fact that the chorus was melodic. Mm-hmm. And, but there was also a guitar melody behind it that didn't compete. Yeah. And they were both distinct and they were both great. Mm hmm That's this, really hard to do. Yeah. So. This was one of their biggest hits. This really? Was, okay. This was a, it was definitely the biggest hit off of that album. That This is the third record. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this was a song that either Dave or Taylor played on drums. What, what did this chart on before we get too far? Um, I can look that up. Uh, I I mean, I don't think it, like, blew up okay. the chart. I mean, it, they have a lot of number one hits on the rock charts. Oh, I'm sure they do, yeah. And I'm sure this was a number one on there. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as just the top 200, because, again, pop was just so R&B and rap, and that was all taking over in the late 90s. Um, I mean, I can, I can try and look it up real quick. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, this was definitely, like, this is endured as one of their big hits. Um, the video for this song is hilarious <laughs> it's them on an airplane and and all of the members but mostly dave grohl they're they're like dressed up as different passengers and dave grohl is constantly dressing up as as women and it's hilarious <laughs> like he's like um in one he's like this like 13 year old girl that comes up to himself and is like staring at him and like you know she's like got braces on and pigtail like it's not like a like a cute like it's like a, a dorky look. I mean, she's like constantly like looking i'm just like i love you and then another one him and taylor are like in fat suits and they're like squishing the uh nate i think it was in the middle it's who's in the middle seat and they're both on the sides and they're all like being obnoxious and just they're like they're dressed as women but they're in fat suits and it's just hilarious and then um dave Grohl is also a flamboyant um uh, flight attendant that's like do like doing all the safety things but he's like doing all the movements crazy and then he's also the captain that's like doesn't <laughs> really know how to fly the plane <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the whole video is hilarious and then like on the little um the little tvs in the back of the chairs it's they're watching like the actual Foo fighters play learn to fly that's cool. And then Foo Fighters themselves are on the plane, and they're just, like, looking at everyone just like, Ugh, I hate flying commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, this this has a very interesting theory thing, too, which I was surprised, because they don't seem like a very theory band. At the at the very end of the chorus, I mean, the, the whole chorus is in that major whatever it is, mm -hmm. but they'll drop down to... This reached number 19 on the charts, by the way. There you go. And it was number one on... The alternative chart. Number two on the rock charts. Oh. That's sad. What beat it? Uh, it doesn't. It does, I okay, can't it see on that. Can't see it. Um, I'll, I'll count if they... But um, they, uh, uh, a big thing that you'll do in minor 
is you'll go down to like the like if you're in the six minor, you'll go down to the four and then the five and then back to the six minor. Uh huh. Um, sanitarium, I think, does that. Yeah. In the in the intro, um, but this song is in what is essentially. Well, okay. How am I going to explain this? So what? Well, so I know that they do some. They do some interesting stuff. I know there's something interesting that happens when they go to that bridge. The fly along with me, I can't quite. I can tell that something shifts there. I think they're using the two major okay. somewhere in there. Uh huh. I don't know if that's a key change. I kind of rely on you to let me know about stuff like that because I'm not as. I have. It sounds like there's a two major at the very end. Mm-hmm. I don't that, know. Of that first measure. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he knows... To say that they're not theory guys, I don't think is completely true. I think these guys know their instruments and their theory pretty well. They okay. just don't... They don't openly flaunt it. Mm-hmm. They know enough to where they can, like, not just, like, make boring, repetitive rock songs. Okay. Well, I mean, all that to say is they'll... they'll, they'll I think they're in, like, B... Okay. And so they'll go down to the G major and then the A major and the B major, which is something that is not in any key. No key has those three chords. Yeah. But it has that epic building feel Mm -hmm. because going from B major to G major is considered a quote-unquote god chord. Okay. When you you do... I thought thought G sus was the god chord. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my (laughs) lord. (laughs) That's worse than Toyota. Okay. Anyway, I haven't. Have, you've heard that one, I'm sure. Um, but it's a considered a god chord, and so you'll have a, a transition of like a flat third or a major third interval mm-hmm. to another major chord, or sometimes even a flat five, which is one of the really intense things that I'm, I, I'm sure Dream Theater does that a million times in all their songs. But. Um, Anyway, it's a god chord, so it's supposed to sound epic, and it does. And I like it. Yeah. Even though they're not using epic instruments. Uh-huh. So. We're also noticing by this... It took me forever to say that. Oh, my goodness. By this goodness. point, we're noticing that guitar solos are not really a thing for the Foo Fighters. Yeah. I didn't really notice that, because nothing was missing. Yeah, it never feels like it needs it. Which is interesting for being, like, a big, like, pure rock and roll band. Yeah. I mean, every now and again, they'll pull out a guitar solo. But I would say like ninety percent of what they do does not have so or a guitar solo. line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean they'll have guitar lines. Monkey Wrench had had that guitar line, mm-hmm. yeah. and even Learn to Fly has got that like at the beginning, and they play it on a couple of the choruses. I think that's a guitar line. Yeah, I mean it, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it not is, a riff. It is. It is a um, line. It's not. But a but also it's they don't play solos not because they can't. Because there's a couple songs I've heard some solos on where it's just like, these guys can shred if they want to. They just mm-hmm. choose not to because it doesn't serve the song. Mm-hmm. Which so, is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, the stuttering drum beat in the verses. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really unorthodox drum beat. Mm-hmm. And I really like how it kind of messes meshes with the, um, the openness of the guitar chords. And, right. Um, overall, yeah, I'm... I was kind of worried that you might not like this song because it's really? more because it's more of like a poppy sounding song. It's not as, I mean, it's like it's it's more of like a kind of like a sing alongy songs. So I didn't know uh, if you would think it was well, like oh, this song is soft and weak. It and, was introduced well by the first two, which and so I was prepared for the sing along uh-huh. aspect. So see, there's there, a, there's a method to everything <laughs> I do, but then we get into the next song, which is. 
which ramps up the intensity again. But let's talk about how this transitions. Okay. Because um, Learn to Fly ends really interesting. It ends doesn't end big. It doesn't end with a fade out. It goes back to that that verse feel. And there's like this. There's these three hits. They go do do, and it kind of like leaves this bit of like almost like unfinished resolution. Mm-hmm. And I think that that leads in well to the opening guitar line for The Pretender. Yes. Which kind of is Mr. Brightside-esque, but in minor. Um, And you have another one of those vocal opens, where it's not just a cold open, where it's just him singing. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of still him and the guitar. Yep. Um, And then you get to the rest of the song, Mm -hmm. where it, it, it builds very quickly. And I like his lyrical choice on this too yeah because he says something 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 whatever it is doesn't really matter to the point i'm trying to make and so it all begins he says and so it all begins and then the song starts yeah i love it when a song introduces itself you know like jugulator does that Uh uh-huh where it's like now let's see what you're made of and then and then that's kind of how the song starts Mm -hmm. this does the same thing and i like that this is my favorite song by the way yeah, I had a feeling. I, it's also, the, I think it's the one song on the set that you knew before. It, it is. Well, I, I shouldn't say it's not the only one that I've listened to, but it's the one that I knew. because mm. I. This was the point when you knew it was the Foo Fighters. Yeah, and it was the chorus, specifically. I mean, I have a, a friend from high school who we used to do, uh, we used to be thespians together. And mm-hmm. so, me and my, I literally only did two plays, so. I love but I guess word, I'm a thespian. I love the word thespian. <laughs> But um, I, I would always be, you know, whether it was backstage or doing the music for the musical or whatever, he'd always be on stage and we'd hang out, you know, in, in between rehearsals and whatever. And he'd always listen to Guns N' Roses and we listened to Guns N' Roses together. And then he, like, tried to show me Foo Fighters one time. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this. I guess I didn't listen to the songs in the right order, you know? I guess testament that's, to this set. That's why you, we, <laughs> we're... We're trying to give you guys the correct pathway. But but this is one of those songs that I held on to. And I remembered it, obviously, because uh, I knew it was Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. So I, I did like this song beforehand. So uh-huh. it's kind of cheating, but it's still my favorite song. Yeah, I mean, it's not cheating. <laughs> you, you At like least I didn't you... pick the bonus song, okay? Like I did with The Doors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh. Yeah, this this song, that chorus is just so good. And it's one of the ones I have the most fun singing along to. And I mm-hmm. kind of, it was the one that was just like, we could do Monkey Wrench, but also like the chance to get to sing the chorus of The Pretender would be like I so told you great. we should have covered The Pretender, but okay. Now, no, I'm not saying I wish we would have done The Pretender instead. <laughs> I'm just saying like, if, we'd, if you would have said no, I'm, if you would have thought that you really wanted to do Pretender, I would have gone with you. Ooh, I should start asking for what I want. Well, you, you're going to get what you want no matter what now, because we're going to do two cover songs That's an true. artist. That's true. We're, we're ramping up to do that. Yeah. So. Um, this probably would have been the second one we would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really, like, uh, I really like the lyrics in this song, because I feel like it's a great testament to who the Foo Fighters are. I, I have some guesses. It's, I, think but... it's, I think it's just about, like fame and about you know people are always pretending you know mm-hmm. it's always a show mm-hmm. it's people aren't who they actually are right. you know they present to you the uh, like you know showmanship and 
the way Dave says is that when he's on stage, he's not pretending to be anyone. Mm-hmm. He's always himself. And he said it was actually uh, James Hetfield that taught him that. Wow. Because he said that James Hetfield was who he uh, looked up to the most as far as stage banter. Yeah. Because he always felt that it was really natural, that, it, you know, he wasn't a character up on stage. That he was just James. That he'd be like, you know, let's let's drink a beer together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he said that that's when he kind of came into his own about just like, I'm just going to talk to the audience and it's like we're pals. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to talk to you the way I would talk to one of my good friends. And so, um, and the Foo Fighters never pretended to be anything. I think it sticks true to the fact that they don't trace the trends. They just make who they are. Mm-hmm. They make what they want to make. And um, I think that the song is a challenge. So that he's saying, now, who are you? Like, who are you really mm. behind the mask? Mm-hmm. Um, During that bridge or what if, what if What if I say I'm not like the others? You know, mm-hmm. everyone wants you to pretend because it fits in with their status quo. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to break the status quo. And I've just, through my research, I've, I've watched a lot of Dave Grohl, or listened to a lot of Dave Grohl interviews, mm-hmm. and just really felt that he, like, never does anything he doesn't want to do. He always, As you should. That's how you should. There was it. one where, like, when Glee was really big. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was listening to him talk about this on the Howard Stern show. Mm-hmm. And they were pressuring and kind of bullying other artists to, like, be in their TV show. And he told him, I was just like, no, I'm not going to do it. Wow. Okay. It was him, Slash, and Kings of Leon were like the the main three that kind of like gave them a big no. And -hmm. they got a lot of crap for it. But David Gross was like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's just like, and he was talking about, I was just like, there's just times in your career where you've just got to say F you to people that are making you do stuff that you don't want to do mm-hmm. like he's just like there's another instance where we were supposed to do this radio show and our uh guitarist had a baby like two days ago and so we said no we're not going to do it and they said you have to do this or you know we'll take you off our radio show and he was just like fine take us off a radio show our fans are gonna still come and support us yeah we don't need you mm-hmm. and so it's just like you know there's a res- there's a, a respect I have for him for not like that's pretty cool for not yeah. playing the game he's he's actually rock and roll in that way he sticks it to the man yes and so that's what I that's what I think this song is all about it's about not playing the game just to play the game mm-hmm. it's about you know your work will sp- who you are will speak for itself mm-hmm. and that's what he says just like our music is good enough that our fans are just gonna are gonna keep coming to us because they understand that we're going to continue to make music that they want to buy. And he wasn't saying that in a game. It's because it's true. It's a reason why they don't need radio. They don't need to have big viral YouTube music videos. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do all of the touring circuits. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, doing all the promotionals. Like, you know, let's go play on this radio show. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Mm -hmm. They, whenever they do some of this, because they want to do it. Right. And so, you know, I, that's, that's just what I gather. I think it's a, it's, it's a statement about who they are as a band. And that's why I felt like it needed to be in this set. Is because it's like, this is the song that I think is like their theme song. And it's a reason... I picked a good favorite. Yeah, <laughs> you did. It's up there for me. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about like musically what's going on in the song. 
Um, something that I didn't notice until I was listening to the song a lot more getting ready for this was the almost like 50s rock and roll uh, guitar line that comes out of that second chorus into the bridge. The oh, yeah. Uh, I, I thought that that was a really cool touch and just kind of showing they like all of that, the old school. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. Really bluesy, really early rock and roll. Because, I mean, that's just what it all sounded like back then. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure that ties in somehow to the, the central theme of the song. Just kind of, you know, go to your roots. Mm -hmm. And... Anyway, do you have anything else to add about it? I mean, it's just a great song overall. I would say uh, there's so many little nuances in there like that mm -hmm. that we can't touch on them in the amount of time that we have yeah. for this episode. Mm -hmm. So that that goes to you listeners. Definitely listen to the set um, because there's just some things that we've missed in the previous songs too. So... Um, I will say, though, that the build in the middle I really like. Yeah. Because it, it starts with kind of some weird atmosphere-y synth or some weird guitar sound, and you're not necessarily adding instruments, but every instrument's getting louder and playing something differently, mm -hmm. and he's, he then he jumps an octave vocally, and then, you know, whatever. And then, and then, and you then think it cuts it's, out again. And then you think it's going to explode, and then it doesn't. Right, which makes it so much sweeter when that's it's like that's does. such a corn thing to do, to like make you expect the something. drop, and yeah, then and then it's just and then it hits you when you don't expect mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But it's... it kept you in the dark. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's, let's go ahead and go to the next yeah. Let's go to the next song. Uh, so this one is the feast and the famine. Yes, this yes. is off of Sonic Highways. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So what city is this? This is Washington D.C. Oh, which had a which had a pretty uh, powerful punk movement. So, so is this is this their obligatory political song? Um, I don't think that it's a political song. Okay, I think it's about the punk movement. It's about kids kind of drawing towards something that they believe in, and just kind of you know because the song is they're literally referencing drums and the guitars and. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's true. They are. Yeah. And so I think it's I think it's about young kids, teenagers, um, just kind of finding something to rally behind, and that being music itself, right. just kind of finding a purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, this song just freaking rips. Yeah, with the it's hey like, man, it kind it's, of it's actually a man. A man. Uh huh. I always thought it was Hey Man. Oh, I always thought it was like hearkening back to David Bowie, you know, with the Hey Man. No, it's it's Amen. <laughs> like it's you know, it's it takes on this almost religious uh, huh. feeling. I mean, talking about monuments and and even like well, something like like feast and famine. That's 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 like a that's like a biblical term, right? I mean, you don't just use that in uh, everyday talk. You know, unless it actually is. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, but that I feel like that that's that's taken like as a you know it's taken right. from biblical connotations. Biblical proportioned amount mm -hmm. of not enough and too much. Yeah, or enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, that's just that's the the feeling that I get from it. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I would say this is the heaviest song on the album. Or on the, okay. on the, on, not on the, well, it is the heaviest song on the album. But on the list. But yeah. also on the list. That's what I meant to say. Right. And. Yeah, you said that and I totally understood you. <laughs> yeah. Because I almost kind of view these as albums. Sometimes. These yeah, lists. Is in some cases. A really well sequenced album. Yeah. But what did you, what did you pull from this song? You know, they did talk about kind of like, I guess, being in school and learning your instruments and whatever, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of, to some extent, telling a story, yeah. whereas the other songs were telling an idea. Yeah. And so that was a, that was definitely a lyrical change that I didn't necessarily pick up on and go, wow, that was really cool that now we're talking about a story. But it, it's just, a lot of, a lot of things it. happen subliminally. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ex- ever actually realized that. I'm not really, like, a lyric guy. Lyrics can you know? sometimes go over my head. Yeah. Because I pay more attention to the music. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I love, I just love all the stop-starts in this song, where mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's very staccato. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's got a great stop-start to it, and, and then we've got a more fantastic Dave Grohl screaming. Oh, oh. You're going to have to remind me. Because this came after Pretender, so I was probably still thinking about Pretender every time I heard this song. Oh. <laughs> so I have a feeling this one was not one of your favorites. Oh, no, I liked it. I liked it a bit. But uh, yeah, it's it's he does the end change will come. Isn't oh, yes. Yeah! Yes, I know that part. Cra- he does it two different times. Yeah, which, how do you have the range and that vocal timber or timbre man whatever. when i watched him live he like screamed so much it's like, kind I was of just, one of those i was just like how do you do that yeah how do you keep your organs inside at some point you know? uh-huh i mean i know that there's techniques to scream correctly but... i i feel like i can do a really good low scream mm-hmm. but like all the high scream stuff i haven't figured out how to do that yet Yeah, that the scream that he has there is that part of my range that i just can't do yeah, you know, I mean, I, I could, could, I can do like an inferior version of it, mm-hmm. but to have that much throat shredding uh, quality to it, I can't get to that level. Yeah, I mean, my range pretty much is just James Hetfield plus Sebastian Bach's falsetto, but nothing, <laughs> but nothing in the middle. And this is one of those screams in the middle. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. So. It, it's a problem when I have to do backing vocal harmonies. Yeah. That's why. That's why I think. About also, we kind of have a new element in this where we have like a end of song like breakdown riff. Oh, um, we do. Because yes, normally, do. you know, if we're gonna end big on a Foo Fire song, it's like there's vocals with it. But this time, it's just kind of like you think the song is gonna end with that second scream, and then they go back and they start building more, and you're just like, oh, what's about to happen? And they mm-hmm. they just go. They kind of jam for a little. Like, uh-huh. Jam. They planned it for a little more, like thirty seconds. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I like that. I've always liked that mm-hmm. aspect of the song. I feel like it gives it a nice, good punch at the end. Right. And I feel like with this song, it's almost kind of like the the energy can't get bigger. It almost feels like there's a finality to the end of the song, mm-hmm. which I think sets us up really well for our final song. Right. Which is one these of... days. It's not, it's one, of not these, one of these days. Just, he says one of these days, but it's yeah, these but days. it's just these days, right? Um, so this one was obviously slower, yes, because it, was, it, it does start with the the guitar vocals, but 
but it never gets to the point of like best of you uh-huh. or the pretender and he didn't really do the screaming thing no i mean he's, he gets pretty rough in the chorus but okay you know not too bad this is this is a contender for being my favorite though. really oh wow. man it is good this song to me i someone else had listened to the song with me before and hadn't heard it and they were just like this this almost feels like a like a hymn just the way it's melodically phrased and oh yeah and the subject matter just about like death and and the end and death <laughs> well i mean that's what a lot of the old hymns were about the, right. a lot of the old hymns were not like you know praise the lord it's about you know one someday soon my i'm gonna die and i'll get to be in a better place so then what is this song really about so from what i gather it feels like um it feels like there's two characters in this. Right. It's That's what I and I th- and I I've gone back and forth on this and I'm settling with the conclusion that the that the lyrics in the verse and the chorus are the same person and then the brief refrain of but it's all right is someone else. So because the chorus is saying your you know your heart's never been broken so it's like this is the, this is about you know a breakup. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the feeling that um, that it's literally ending the world. Mm-hmm. That it's just you know, it feels like just there's nothing left. And someone's saying, "But it's all right." And then he's countering with, "Easy for you to say. Mm-hmm. Your heart's never been broken." And then it's it, I love how he turns around. It's just like one of these days, I bet your heart, and you're gonna feel exactly the same way I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he references the same things in the verses he does in the chorus. So it's like, your heart has never been broken, but in the verse he says, your mm-hmm. heart will stop and play its final beat. Yep. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I just, I, um, there's just melodically, this song just really hits me mm-hmm. and gets me in all the feels more so than any of the other Foo Fire songs do maybe best of you also. And, and there's some vocal harmony as well. Mm-hmm. That, and... that really we didn't see before yeah and just yeah i love it's it's very poetic more so than foo fighter songs normally are Mm -hmm. foo fighters lyrics are great but they're not known for being poetic right and this one feels like it is Mm -hmm. in the verses at least Mm -hmm. and then it's almost it's it's very typical foo fighters in the chorus and that chorus is so good right yeah um and then yeah i love when it it breaks down towards the end it's almost kind of full circle a bit to best of you how we started um, we get to the breakdown, and he says that again, and you just you know that you know it's going to come in, especially if you've never listened to Foo Fighters before, and you are noticing the patterns of how we we build it up and we break it down. It's always going to come back in hard, mm-hmm. but I love that it comes back hard with just the vocals first. It's easy for you, to, and then everyone hits it right there at the, yeah, on the, on on the, the last beat uh-huh. too. So. Anyway, and yeah. that, that last chorus, so I always talk about in my sets that there is a, um, a catharsis point that, the, that I feel like I like to have the set build to. That re-entry back into that chorus, for me, is that moment. Oh, really? I think it's the very, very end, when it kind of ends on that One whatever. of these days, one of these, when it's repeating that part. When it ends on what I think is the is like the four chord or something, and it just rings out. I mean, and the very last chord of the song, I think, is just 
for me, it's it's when that last chorus. But I mean, you know, it can be. It's open to interpretation. Yeah. It's music. For me, that's that's the moment where I'm just like every. It just it becomes transcendental. I'm just like, <laughs> rock on. I feel it. I feel it all. This journey was worth it. Yeah. yeah. So talk yeah. about a musical journey. Yes. We came a long way with these songs. Mm-hmm. So. so, yeah, that's the end. So we're gonna take another break. When we come back. We are going to talk about the bonus song and our final thoughts, so stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about the Foo Fighters in this episode, and we just finished talking about the songs, and we're going to briefly recap. Those songs were Best of You, Monkey Wrench, which you can go find on our YouTube channel, uh, Learn to Fly, The Pretender, Feast in the Famine, and These Days. So now it's time yes. to talk about the bonus song. Ooh. So, Grant, for those that are listening for the first time, what is a bonus song? So a bonus song is a song that's related to the main artist, but for whatever reason, the artist who wrote this song, we're never going to do an episode on them. Um, and so maybe they're a one-hit wonder, or they're not that well-known, or for whatever reason, but we still want to talk about their music. And in some way, this artist is usually related to the main artist that we talk about. So... This week's bonus song, which I'm really curious to see the connection, is See You in Hell by... Taylor Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins. <gasps> Wait a minute, I, I forgot the artist, okay? That's why I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Technically, it's uh, uh, Taylor oh, Hawkins no and the Coattail Riders, because it's this little solo group. Okay, that makes sense now. I feel really, really... Wow. <laughs> I didn't think to memorize the artist because I just I saw a long thing and I'm like, we you know we'll talk about it during the episode. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. There we go. Yep. So this, that's why uh, I recognized his name. Uh huh. Okay. So yeah, that's, this is his side project that he is the drummer and singer of. But anyway, this song was really good. I yeah, really, I really like this song actually. It it when you say bonus song, some of your bonus songs are pretty bad. I'm Whoa! Just, I'm just okay. gonna be honest. Some of the bonus songs are bad. This was not one of them. This was. A, this was. I I really wanted to say that this one was my favorite one, Ooh. but I would feel bad again. So uh, anyway, it's titled "See You in Hell." It's also kind of got the uh, Alice in Chains ghost thing, where you've got you know kind of the free flowing vocals, but they're uh -huh. very harmonized. And I love that. Yeah. Like I, like I said at the beginning of the episode, it was a little foreshadowing. Taylor Hawkins is a great singer. Mm -hmm. And uh, one some something that they'll do at their live shows is usually for one, maybe two songs, um, him and Dave Grohl will switch spots. <laughs> where Dave Grohl will go drum, and what he'll do is he'll sing like a cover song. They like to do a lot of Queen songs. They'll do Led Zeppelin. Um, he's got that range to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he does backing vocals while he's drumming. Um, but that whole album... So the album actually came out last year. Mm. And I'm sure it would have gotten a lot more promotion had not the music industry not gotten completely shut down. Um, but I was watching a video um, on Taylor Hawkins doing a master class for, like, BBC. He was talking about this album. I was like, ooh... This could be a good opportunity for a bonus song. And you talked about this song specifically, which was what kind of drew my attention to it. Um, he said that uh, he found out that Leanne Rimes, which fa famous country singer, 
um, that their kids went to the same school because they saw each other at like a like a parent student event. That's they were like, "Oh, did your kid go here? Here?" And he was just like, "Hey, you want to come sing on one of my songs?" <laughs> and she's like, "Okay, cool. What's it called? It's called See You in Hell." And she's like, "Okay, you sure you want me to sing on it?" And he's like, "Yeah, you'd be perfect." <laughs> and yeah, he was, was right. Pretty good. He was right. Yeah, he was right. Um, the whole album is really interesting, and I'd be because there's not a lot of info about the band or them because it's kind of a smaller project. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to do a lot of digging, but I'm curious to know if he's also the songwriter for it because it feels on a lot of the album like it's written very rhythmically. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of feels like a drummer is writing it, writing it well, but like you can tell when like guitarists write a song or bassists write a song or yeah. pianists write a song. Right. It feels like a drummer wrote a lot of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, just because a lot of a lot of the guitar riffs are written around the drum rhythms and. Like, it doesn't feel like it was a guitar part that the drums are matching. It feels like a drum part that the guitars are matching. Mm. And so I'd be I'm, I'd be curious to know kind of what the approach is. But, yeah, the, the song, it, like, just bounces between, like, weird, spacey, offbeat rhythms and, like, just a freaking great chorus. Mm-hmm. With, with the kind of increasing the pitch something there there's something there there's some instrument that maybe it's like some kind of string pad or something mm-hmm. um that'll start on the root note and and every measure it'll increase in pitch and it'll just kind of reset after every measure yeah um and i don't <sighs> i don't know just, that... it it gives the feeling of like something sinister but it's in major so it sounds weird i don't know i don't mm-hmm. know how to describe it yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I. Th- if you if you didn't notice that, then so he's got a, he's Taylor Hawkins has kind of a lot of different little side projects. He's also got a um, a seventies and eighties hard rock heavy metal cover band called Chevy Metal, <laughs> which I think is like one of the coolest um, band names ever. Mm-hmm. And apparently, they like play like a lot of like the Foo Fighters after show parties. That's cool. Like they'll just they'll just get up there, and he's like, that's what like keeps me in shape, like, in between Foo Fighters touring. And, <laughs> um, and do you know who uh, the band Oasis is? I have heard of them. So they were a big group in the 90s and pretty big influence on Foo Fighters. Is this, uh, is this Wonderwall? Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the main guys, it's, it's com- the main group of that is two brothers, uh-huh. Liam and Noel Gallagher, who very famously hate each other. Oh, wow. Um, I can't remember which one, but they, like, met the Foo Fighters backstage, like, at Glastonbury. And uh, Dave Grohl was talking, how he's just like, you know, I expected him to, like, come start talking to me, but he, like, pushes me aside. And he starts talking to Tara, just like, your solo work is incredible. I love it. <laughs> and, like, starts, like, singing some of the songs to him. And he's just like, what's happening? <laughs> so, yeah, he's... He's got some really cool side stuff going on. I want to listen to that album more because mm-hmm. there was some really cool stuff. But See You in Hell was the, my favorite that I had heard off of it. And I was just like, yeah, let's put it this as the really bonus good. song. It was really, really good. Because it did marry the the heavy chorus part, I guess, mm-hmm. with the still kind of sinister but somehow not dreadful yeah. uh, atmosphere verse section. Ooh, that'd, that'd be a good band name, Atmosphery. Atmosphery. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, 
I kind of was curious. That sounded cool. Okay, whatever. Um, all right, so yeah, there's our bonus song. So let's go ahead and get into final thoughts. Okay. So for you, uh, not having too much exposure to the Foo Fighters, how do you feel about them now? Uh, I hate to say this, but I am not really interested in learning more. I like the songs that we have. I'll listen to them. I really like Learn to Fly, The Pretender was pretty good, Monkey Wrench, I had a lot of fun covering that, and then of course Everlong and My Hero, I already knew about those. Um, but I'm not really like driven to learn more, I guess, which I guess is the whole point of this podcast is for me to do that, and so I feel bad saying that. Well, that's okay. But that's, I guess that's just me and my musical preference and just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt the exact same way for mm-hmm. a long time about the Foo Fighters. Even when people would tell me, you gotta listen more, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, they're, just, they're okay. They're pretty good, but, you know. And then it was like when I finally actually did, mm-hmm. and then I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, this is great. I love it. Right, right. Which really happened to me um, even more so during researching for this. Mm-hmm. This was a really fun episode to do uh, a lot of the preliminary mm-hmm. work for. Because I found so much new Foo Fighters music. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait to put these in future episodes. Right. I've already got like a couple of hypothetical lists working in my head of like, ooh, I could use these songs next. I could do <laughs> these songs next. Uh, that's good. So At least one of us has increased their appreciation. Appreciation. It, appreciation. appreciation. What are you, like British or something? Uh, Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also the imp- the uh, the important thing is hopefully um, some of our listeners will I hope that's go the case. find some more Foo Fighters yes, music because, because then, of this. Then they can convince you to do another Foo Fighters episode. Maybe that'll change. Yeah, that'll change my mind on them. Yeah. So I, I mean, they won't have to convince me. We will do more Foo Fighters in the future. <laughs> It'll just I just don't know when. But all of that's not to say that they're not bad musicians. It's not to say I don't like their music. It's just I'm not at the point yet where I'm driven to learn more about them uh-huh whereas with like the ghost episode and uh the sound garden episode i really was mm-hmm. um so all right but that may change so anyway i have nothing else on my final thoughts all right i mean unless you want to say more um i mean just i've grown to really fall in love with dave Grohl. he's kind of become like my spirit animal he <laughs> he he is the exact kind of rock star that I would want to be, mm-hmm. where he's not caught up in all the trappings of fame and fortune. Like mm-hmm. he's still like the kind of dorky, funny, just very seems like a very friendly guy that just like is. He's got a he's, his nickname is literally Good Guy Grohl because he's just known <laughs> for being like one of the nicest guys in the rock and roll business. Even though he like will fiercely fight against you know, stuff that he's like, thinks makes him have to change or compromise. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just like, he's not like this. He doesn't feel like this larger than life guy. He doesn't feel like this, this God that like, you can't approach. He just, he just is an ordinary dude that happens to be in the biggest rock and roll band of the last 20 years. Just an ordinary dude. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's just like, he, kind of delving deeper into a bit more of a personal level it's just like he's kind of gave me an extra spark to really like just keep moving forward with music Mm -hmm. because it's just like 
seeing how he was able to just kind of do it all himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he did have the advantage of being a Nirvana beforehand. Mm-hmm. But he kind of just showed that you can just, as long as you can make good music, that that's all that really matters. You just gotta, you just gotta, you gotta have the gift of songwriting, which he does. And then you just gotta never give up. And that kind, I kind of like had a couple of moments like listening to him talk and just going just like, thank you, Dave, I can do this. And it was inspiring for me. And that was, uh, that kind of ended up being a bit of a emotional moment for me. So you can't really expect better than that. Mm -hmm. So because of kind of what I went through with that, they have shot up very high on my favorites list. So, wow. There you go. That's the Foo Fighters for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. My watch keeps dinging. I'm sorry for... Uh, Popular person, I guess. It's mainly my wife and my mom constantly <laughs> texting me. Um, thank you so much for watching. Um, please make sure to tune in next week. Uh, not only for a new episode, but also for a new cover song on our YouTube channel. Um, make sure to go check us out on Patreon. Good lord, there's so many... <laughs> sounds i just need to like go put this in another room for yeah. the next episode um yeah go check us out on patreon we don't have a lot of exclusive content on there yet but it is coming very soon it is on our immediate next steps yes. so uh in the next month or so you're going to start seeing a lot of stuff on there so um go check us out there support us and also Leave us a comment. Let us know which bands you want us to cover next time. And uh, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. We're on pretty much every major one. And share with people. If you know people that even just like the artists that we're covering in that particular episode, um, send them the episode and uh, get them hooked on the good music uh, credo. (laughs) And check us out on social media. And I think that's that's everything to check us out. All on. the normal stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, you guys know the drill unless you don't. <laughs> Next week, 9 a.m. Central, we're going to be um, going back to the 70s, mm-hmm. which is I'm finding is like my favorite place to yeah. mine for different groups. There's a lot of stuff in this. I have to place. I have to intentionally stop myself from picking 70s artists over every and week. over every yeah. week. <laughs> Because uh, I find that I will, but I'm also real. I was just like, I still haven't talked about this person, this person, this person, this. And I'm like, there's so many people from the '70s. I always said that the '80s was my favorite, but I'm kind of realizing now that the '70s actually was. So, uh, yeah, 9 a.m. next week. Tune in, and uh, I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. <laughs>